Hello, this is Toothy Toad. This is Dr. Walter Aka. Uh, I have my my uh, unofficial co-host, Dr. Gary Dennis and Dr. Kyle Dumpert. What's going on, gentlemen? Unofficial? I mean, you guys, you know, it takes like 20 episodes to become official. <laughs> that's I think Kyle's there. <laughs> that's, that's the rule I made up just right now. <laughs> no, but uh, we actually How's it going? <laughs> greetings and salutations as always. No, um, we we are, we're actually starting a, a series right now because that's one thing we want to do. We're, we're becoming more and more professional, so we're starting a series on just financial health, financial wellness uh, for dentists. Because I mean, I don't know about you guys, but dentists we're not the best at. We're best. We're really good at spending money. But we're not good at yeah, kind of right, right. But we're not good at we're not good at looking for the future, and and we're not good at really understanding financial health and what we could do to take advantage of you know basically wealth building. So we actually have a really awesome guest, uh, Mr. Derek Vaness. What is going on, sir? How you doing? He's from the Big Life Financial uh, Company. So Derek, what is going on, sir? Just uh, living the dream on a Saturday night here. Who who wants to do anything other than hang out with you guys? Right? Exactly, he me- <laughs> and he meant that too. I don't even want to hang out with us. I know. <laughs> <laughs> That's but, why you're still unofficial. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know what, Kyle? You're, exactly. you're you're you just became official, Kyle. <laughs> uh, but Derek, please tell us a little bit about yourself, your company, and so forth. Well, um, there's a lot of things to know about me, but specifically as it relates to business, I uh, my company's called Big Life Financial. We do a wealth and tax strategy for a lot of businesses, but we have a lot of dental clients, and I've been working with dentists for the past decade. Uh, we help people specifically to keep more of the money that they make and be a little bit smarter with it because, as you alluded to, Walter, uh, a lot of dentists make really great money. And what I see with dentists, quite frankly, is like they're usually really cool, really outgoing, fun people, um, but they have a tendency to sort of be able to outrun their mistakes because they make enough money. So if you make a mistake and you lose 50 grand because you gave your brother-in-law the money to start a brewery, which sounded like a cool idea, except that he didn't know anything about it, you can kind of outrun that, right? And so so dentists, uh, quite frankly, they, they make a lot of money and and can do a lot of things and with a little bit of structure, man, dentists can can do awesome. And the reality is, a lot of dentists do okay, even if they make some mistakes. So, you know, it's uh, it's a it's a pretty interesting group of people, and and I like it because the ceiling is so high. And it, it makes it fun for me. And the the other thing that's been kind of interesting is, you know, uh, I think a lot of dentists get trained into being like really methodical detailed people but like when you dig underneath they're usually like really creative kind of cool interesting thinkers and so that makes it kind of fun for me whereas a lot of other industries i I don't run into that quite to the same extent where you think it's going to be one way and it's actually totally another well you know dentistry is is an art and a science absolutely well and (laughs) i don't know know, the thing is Don't listen to Dr. Dennis because honestly, he's, you know, Derek, you sound, you basically made a dentist look so awesome right there that we're going to probably use this as a sound bite for the episode. (laughs) So more people would be like, right? So more people would be like, wow. rights on that, yeah. (laughs) But uh, what's what's your background? Uh, How did you get to where you're at right now? Yeah, Yeah, great question. Um, I, I went to business school, you know, in college and everything, but I wasn't sure what I wanted to do at the time. I just... I knew I like to help people. So I, I got a job in sales because I was like, well, I'm going to have my own business. I'm going to help people. I need to learn how to communicate better. And so I actually took this terrible job doing cold calling. We had to do cool. 200 cold calls a day. I'm sure you've gotten these calls, guys, because mm-hmm. we did equipment financing, right? <laughs> and those guys are kind of vultures. But yeah. uh, <laughs> but it was really good for me because I got really good at, at reading financials and talking to business owners and and just learning how to uh, how to understand what people's needs were because that's not an easy job. And then uh, at some point, I got a little burnt on it. I thought, well, what else could I do? And I got into real estate investing before like flipping houses was a thing because I thought, you know, I got a construction background. My father had a construction company growing up. If I could just go like live in a house, I was living in LA at the time. If I could buy a house, live in it, fix it up for a couple of months then sell it and do that three times a year, you know, I could make six figures. I was like, that sounds pretty cool. Right. 
And so I kind of started doing that. And then I realized that, wow, you can turn that into a serious business. And we got to where we were doing 20, 30 of those a year. And uh, that turned into a kind of a runaway train. And I made a bunch of money. So I did a bunch of other business training and personal development and all this other stuff. And then along comes 2009. I'm sure you guys have never heard this story before, right? And that mm -hmm. train went right off the cliff. <laughs> <laughs> and I lost a couple of million dollars at age, uh, how old was I? 30, 32, 33. Um, and uh, it, it was tough, man. I, I was... I had 16 of those projects going buy, fix, and resells in, in California. We were buying them at 200, reselling them at 300. And then uh, I got hit by a snowmobile at Mammoth. And by the time I kind of came out wow. of the haze from the Vicodin, three months later, four months later, those houses that were selling for 300 were now worth 160. Mm. And I was upside down in 16 of them. So wow. it got uh, real messy and I was kind of thinking maybe I should have stayed on the painkillers, but I, I got <laughs> off them. <laughs> I'm glad you got off them. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know that's probably a terrible thing to joke about. I didn't even know about like opioids or any of that stuff. I just followed the directions and thankfully nothing nothing bad came of that. But yeah, it was a rough couple of years and and really kind of dedicated myself after that to to learning about finances. As it turns out, one of my best friends is kind of a financial guru, financial wonder kid. And so we started working together and and have been for a long time. His name's Garrett Gunderson and uh, and started working with his company. And that's how I started working with a lot of dentists. He used to speak to a lot of dental groups, a lot of dentists, a lot of chiropractors, a lot of real estate investors um, seem to really gravitate to the, the way that we approach finances because it's totally different. And we'll get into that in a sec. But that really kind of got just got a ton of experience under my belt because they were bringing me four or five, six new clients a week. And we were just working with a ton of people. And you guys know this, when you get enough reps, you start to see all the patterns and it, it starts to get pretty clear, like what's relevant, what isn't relevant, what's important, what can we not worry so much about? And uh, yeah, and as it worked out, dentistry was just one of those groups. Interesting. Well, so yeah, I guess one thing that um, I'm going to start off with is dentists are really used to working with financial advisors. That's what we always say, right? That's what we're trained to yep. to work with financial advisors. So, uh, you 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 basically have on your website that you guys are not financial advisors. So, how do Correct. you um, basically convince dentists to work with you? And what what's the difference well, between you guys and financial advisors? Yeah, that, that's a great question. Uh, most financial advisors, what they do is they come in and they tell you, hey, let's take a bunch of your money and let's put it in the stock market. Now, there's a couple different versions of that, right? There's mm -hmm. IRAs and 401ks and Roths and SEPs and all these different things. But essentially, most of your money is going into some sort of fund, an index fund, a mutual fund, um, some fund that they put together. But it's all kind of going into the same place. And, and the real problem for me with a lot of that is you're separating an entrepreneur, a high earning, highly educated person from their money. And you're taking money out of their practice thing where they have all their expertise, all their experience, all their schooling, all their knowledge. And they're putting it into the hands of somebody that they don't probably know that well, because even if it's your brother-in-law, who's, who's your advisor, he's given the money to a guy on wall street who doesn't know, you don't know anything about, and you lose control of that money. And you can't get to it without a penalty until 59 and a half in a lot of cases. And so in my opinion, like especially COVID is something that like really highlights this, right? Guys who don't have a lot of cash are feeling it right now. Mm -hmm. And they can, you know, they've waived the penalties this year to try and let people get to that money. You still got to pay the taxes, which, you know, you got to pay your taxes anyway. So no, no big deal. But but the problem is under non non-pandemic circumstances, most people won't access that money and they'll cost themselves. So we approach it differently. We, we think that there's a much better place to save and grow your money where you can get more consistent results, where you can have access to it and you can have the tax advantages that are good or better than what you get in a lot of those plans. And so kind of my, my thought is if you're going to invest in things, either want to guarantee or you want to know about it, care about it and control it. And for most people, the stock market just isn't that. They don't know about it. They don't care about it. And they don't control it. So uh, so we go a different direction. So what are the, some of those other options outside of the traditional 401k IRA things? Yeah. So 
So one of our foundational things is something we call uh, the money maximization model or cash flow banking. And it's essentially a, a specific way to use a certain type. So there's like in the financial world, there's a million different versions of every product, right? Whether that's a stock, a bond, uh, an insurance policy, whatever. So we use a specific type of life insurance with a specific type of company that's designed to build cash as fast as possible. Hmm. So, and the nice thing about the type of uh, life insurance that we use, it has a guaranteed rate of return plus a dividend on top of that. So even when everybody else is losing in the market, you're winning. And what that does for a dentist is it creates peace of mind. You don't have to try and be a day trader or, or master the market or guess when the next up or down is. You can focus on being really great at what you're really great at. And on the weekends, instead of trying to read all the, the news and keep up with everything, you can spend time with your family or do the things you want to do, you know, go water skiing or hiking or whatever you're into, right? So it just creates a lot more focus and a lot more simplicity because you have that reliability as a baseline and you don't have to try and guess like, what if there's a crash right before or right after retirement? What if there's a crash right before my kid goes to college or whatever? You know that you're going to get certain returns as a bare minimum with some upside to that. And those accounts are liquid inside of life insurance. You can get your money right away, usually within a couple of days. Um, so, so they're great in a situation like COVID, getting to your money super easy. Uh, if an opportunity comes along, if an emergency comes along, you're, you're prepared and can take advantage of those things. Long, long term with a um, traditional 401k investment um, over 30 year period, they're averaging what, six, 7% growth over that time. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a, there's something that's really interesting there. It depends on the period of time that you take, right? Because right. there's have been some periods of time that are much more profitable and others that weren't. If your 30 years ends at 2009, it probably looks really bad. Right. If it ends at 1997, it probably looks pretty good. So yeah, there, there are different periods of time. The main thing with, with uh, the market is there's something known as the sequence of returns, like the order in which you get the returns that you get is is important, especially when you get to retirement. But the big thing is averages are, they're true, but they're inaccurate for what really happens with your money. So like a really simple example is if you had a hundred grand and you put it into the market and the first year it went up a hundred percent. And then the second year went down 50% and you pull your money out and your broker calls you up and he says, Kyle, why did you, why'd you pull your money out? You're up 100% down 50, so you're ahead 50% divided by two years. That's a 25% rate of return. Most people would kill for that. And you look at your broker and you say, yeah, but the first year I went from 100 up 100%, so now I have 200. The second year I went down 50, so I'm back down to zero. I had to pay your fees, so I actually lost money. How is that a 25% rate of return? So mathematically, averages are correct, but they aren't. They don't truly illustrate what's happening with your money. And with something you're consistently contributing to, it's even more difficult because as you're putting money in there, it's hard to see, is my account really going up and how much is it? What right. are the fees that are on that? Because you're always contributing. So if you look at like the Dow Jones Industrial Average from 1997 to 2011, it actually is flat. Like it it goes down after 97 in the bubble, right? The, the dot-com bubble. Then it comes back up. Then it goes back down in 2009. And by 2011, you're back to where you were in 97. But if you've kept putting money in that whole time, it looks like you're going up, okay. right? So it, it, it's a lot of moving pieces. And the volatility makes it so it's very difficult to understand what's actually happening with your money. So aside from being separated from it, um, I think most people just don't really know what's going on there. Okay. Okay. So with the, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm hogging all the questions, but with the, <laughs> uh, if you're putting it into this cash value insurance policy, life insurance policy, instead, you get a, a you're saying there's a, a guaranteed rate of return on that. Yeah. So, so most of the companies I'm working with, and every company's different, so don't take this as like gospel. Right? Sure. But right now, the the best companies that I'm working with, their guarantee is four percent. Mm -hmm. And then you're also getting a, um, a dividend on top of that. The best companies right now, that's equating to somewhere in the neighborhood of around 2%, just a little bit above or a little below that. Um, 
But when you factor in the fact that the money inside of life insurance is an after-tax, those are after-tax dollars. So if you use the system that we teach, you won't end up paying taxes on that money when you utilize it. Uh, that becomes a net after-tax number. So to get five or six percent after taxes, you have to earn eight, nine, ten percent in the market every year. So it it creates something that I'll say, let's just say it's on par with the market. I think I've got some math that uh, and some videos I could reference that show that you need to do better than that in the market to end up with the same amount of money as cash value. But the main thing is, even if we're pretty close, the consistency and the reliability just frees up a lot of the questions um, that people have about like what's going to happen with the market and what if things don't time out right, right? And you don't have to ride that roller coaster. So I, I'm assuming that this um, policy is a is a whole life policy. That is correct. Some people try to do this with universal life, and um, I won't get into the details. I'm not a fan of universal life personally because there's a lot of cost of insurance changes, rates of return changes, depending on what you have. You, you know, sometimes you have ceilings and floors, and sometimes you don't. There's just a lot of variables. I prefer to have something where we've got some consistency if you're going to go this route. So my question is if, so you said it's, it's, it's liquid, so you can actually uh, withdraw the, the income gained off of the policy at any time. So what you're saying in concept is right. Technically, the way you do it with life insurance is you leave the money in there and you take a loan against it. Okay. So you can access your cash. There's a loan on the cash. So you, there's a cost to borrowing the cash, but you're also continuing to earn inside of the policy. So those essentially offset one another. So, and that's where you can get around the taxes, Gary, is because you're not technically withdrawing the money. Instead of pulling 50 grand out, you get 50 grand, but your 50 grand stays in there to back it. Now you're able to get it. Just It's kind of like pulling equity out of your house. You don't have to pay taxes till you sell the house, right? I got you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So so essentially, for from a workability standpoint, it's basically the same thing, but technically it's not. So I, that's why I have to be careful with my words. You don't want to withdraw it or you'll get taxed on the growth. Gotcha. So yeah, yeah. So okay. there's some nuances, and I don't want to like. Yeah, I don't want you guys to feel like I'm dancing around it. I want to. I want you to kind of <laughs> understand the concept because there's a lot of rabbit holes you can go down with this stuff. Right. Eggshells, eggshells. No, yeah. I, got, I, got, I, got, I got. Well, and and I mean, I have to represent this stuff correctly, so right. I don't want to like let something slide on a podcast. That's all. I just want to be responsible about it. But it's not super technical, but. Yeah, there's a good methodical way to explain it step by step. Podcasts are not perfect for that. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, <laughs> exactly. So let's talk about other means of wealth, right? Because I know in your, on your uh -huh. website you have multiple uh, levels, and I believe real estate is one of them. So how the, yeah. how can a dentist uh, use uh, the <clears throat> real estate avenue to also to build wealth? And what does your uh, company kind of guide dentists in doing? Great question. So th there are a couple of different ways. You know, I've been involved in real estate, as I mentioned, since back in 2001. Um, if you want something really easy and clean for dentists, it might be something like uh, private investing, right? Either partnering with people on properties or uh, like when a lot of these guys do fix and flips, they want hard money. But a dentist can charge less than a hard money lender and still make really great rates of return while being in a good equity position. Once again, I think if you're going to get into something like real estate, you want to be educated, mm -hmm. right? Like, I think that's just a good first step with anything. Um, obviously, rental real estate, a lot of dentists make good money. And the nice thing about real estate is it has some really nice tax advantages that can help offset some of those tech taxes that you guys get crushed on. <laughs> so um, depending on what you're looking for, you can go short-term cash flow with private lending. You can go partnerships with people either on rental properties or on uh, on fix and flips or those kinds of things. Uh, I think a really great investment for dentists, honestly, is your building. If you're going to be in a building and paying rent anyway, if you can own that building and it makes sense, for a lot of dentists, that becomes awesome because they sell the practice in retirement and they keep the income from the building. Plus, 
tons of tons of write-offs and there's some really cool stuff you can do with cost segregation especially with newer buildings where you can get some really nice tax savings on those so um real estate has a lot of different ways but i think the easiest ways for dentists is start with either private lending or like rental property depending on if you want to be a landlord or not get your feet wet try a little bit of that and then once you decide hey i do like the landlord thing or i do like the private money thing and you get a little more education, you can start to decide where you want to go because there's no one size fits all. I really think a lot of it comes down to temperament. How much time do you want to put in? How and you know, what parts of the business do you want to or not want to be invested in? Um, yeah. So, and then there's a lot of creative financing stuff. If someone wants to get a little more hands-on, you can do some really neat things with, uh, with real estate that I feel like almost nothing else offers the different streams of income from one source between, you know, if you have something like a rental property, you can leverage your dollars, you, meaning you use a small amount of money to control a large asset, right? A down payment, 10, 20%. You can get cash flow from that, which everybody knows about. You can also, you get the appreciation of the property going up over time. A lot of times that's just keeping up with inflation, if we're honest. Mm -hmm. uh, you get to depreciate the asset over time because it breaks down. And then you get to write off the interest. So effectively, your dollars are earning for you five different ways inside of something like rental real estate. And so short term, honestly, most rental real estate's just okay. You might get five, six, seven, eight percent the first one, two, three years. But the longer it goes, as rents go up just to adjust for inflation, your mortgage stays the same. And it continues to pay down faster and faster because more of each payment becomes paying down the principal, right? Versus just toward the interest. So over time, real estate accelerates in value for you. It becomes a better and better asset over time. So if you got the money to get through the first three to five years with real estate, rental real estate, it gets really good. Things just, everything else moves up, but your payment stays the same. So this is a uh, personal question, not sure. a, a professional business question. Sure. With, with COVID, how do you see the those returns on this uh, real estate being affected? Well, in the in the short term, right now, it's uh, it's pretty interesting because certainly some people have tenants that have been imp impacted, right? And there are even states. And I'm not a huge fan. This is a really interesting time because I'm not a huge fan of the governments coming in and saying, "Hey." You know, I know the rules are the renter needs to pay you or you can get them out. And the government comes in and says, well, now you can't get them out. Like that's never really happened before. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah. and so it's we're definitely in some unique circumstances. And I, and I would dare say that can happen with almost anything. Like when I was in real estate in 2009, like banks literally stopped lending. Like when would we think that would ever happen? Right. Mm -hmm. It's never happened before. So there's probably never happened before moments out there for almost anything that can happen. And so that's part of the reason that you do want to have some cash reserves and always be flexible. I heard a, a quote last night that I thought was really interesting. He said, inefficiency is the enemy. I'm sorry, efficiency is the enemy of resilience. Because when you become too efficient, you're running so close to the edge that any little thing can like snap that off and break it, right? And I think oh, some people I are think, trying I to think. be... Go ahead. I was just, I was saying as as a dentist I think we all can uh, attest to that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I thought it, I thought it was really insightful. I was like, man, that's it because I run into so many clients who are like trying to keep every penny working, mm -hmm. and by doing that, they're they're mortgaging themselves to the hilt and they're maximizing every dollar. And it's like if everything goes perfect, it looks great on paper, but the second you hit a speed bump, that whole thing falls apart. And so I really try to encourage people to have some cash reserves because that's that's your shock absorber, that's your buffer, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of people think money sitting in, in a savings account is a bad idea. And the truth is it has a place. It's not earning ROI, like physical interest, but it's peace of mind, it's certainty, it's confidence, it's not fighting with your spouse, it's not being worried about stuff when your kid, you're at your kid's baseball game, right? It's all of that stuff happens because, you know, you know, if something comes up, I'm going to be okay. And you guys know that feeling when you walk in somewhere 
to know that no matter what happens, we're going to be okay. The, that's a good sense feeling. Of security. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this, and I've, I've, after reading your website and just kind of learning as much as I could, one thing I, I noticed is you know um, you you keep mentioning the fact that you know you want to have a peace of mind, right? You keep mentioning the fact yeah. that you have to look outside the uh, Wall Street. I think is what you said. Outside of Wall Street was a uh, the beginning title. Uh, so, yeah. what is the biggest mistake dentists make? when it comes to their finances. I mean, we own business, most of us, right? Like Kyle mm-hmm. has his own practice, right? What is, mm-hmm. if you were to go to Kyle, what would be the one thing that you'll probably tell Kyle, hey, I, I can guarantee you you're making the same exact mistake. And then what what is that mistake and how would he go about fixing that mistake? Well, there's one or two that are obvious and I don't know if they're the biggest because when some dentists make big mistakes, they're real big. But the one I see r- widespread is is on the tax side. Uh, almost every dentist that we look at is overpaying taxes in one of two ways. Either A, like, and listen, there's there's a lot of good CPAs out there, right? But if you guys know anything about the tax code, it's literally as long as the Harry Potter books, right? <laughs> so, so like nobody is an expert at all of that. They just aren't. And a lot of it, like Gary said, you know, the art and the science, tax is an art and a science. There's a lot of things in the tax rules that are open to interpretation that if you don't know that they can be interpreted a different way, you might miss. So we see on average, we did a, an audit uh, when I was working for for my friend's company. Per $100,000 of income, we found that um, even people with CPAs were paying about $11,000 too much a year in tax. So most dentists are making two to $500,000. So that's 20 to 50 grand a year they're overpaying in taxes. Now, in addition to that, Something that we've really uh, caught wind of and been working with a lot of dentists on in the last two years is almost no dentists are filing for research and development credits, and almost all dentists qualify for those. And up until 2015, it wasn't something that the, like a little guy could do because it was like too much paperwork. But the laws changed with the with the PATH Act in 2015, and technology's gotten better, and so now. A lot of dentists, pretty much, well, I haven't had a dentist that hasn't qualified for research and development credits as when we filed for them. And in most cases, I see thirty dollars to $100,000 that they're getting back over a three-year period, right? So it's like, it's like ten dollars to $25,000 a year that dentists are overpaying that way on average. So I don't want to overstate it, except those are the numbers I'm seeing. If you've got a practice that you've been around a couple of years and you're profitable, you're probably paying an extra ten to twenty, thirty thousand dollars that you could be getting back with those credits, and you're just not filing for them because nobody knows about it. What so. is what is this research and development? I, I have to ask. <clears throat> so, research and development is something that came into like widespread use in 1981. Government brought it in when like the Japanese started kicking our butt in the automotive industry, and they wanted to incentivize us to innovate, to do research, to try new materials and stuff. And, um, and so that there's a, a four part test that comes in there and it basically says, is what you're doing based in science? And, you know, are you seeking to create better outcomes? Are you taking risk? In other words, are you trying new things and trying to get better outcomes with that? Um, and a couple other things And dentistry checks, those boxes, according to the CPAs that I have do the work. And, uh, and so there are a couple of groups that are really starting to take this and run with it. And we're, we're one of them. But, you know, research and development credits are, are a big opportunities for dentists. And we've been trying to hit a lot of them up during COVID because they're sitting at home like, what am I going to do for money? And if we can help them to file this and get, let's say it's only 30 grand over the last three years back, but 30 grand after taxes is a nice shot in the arm to kind of help you catch back up. Now, the IRS is being a little slow right now. I'm going to be honest with you because they're not working either. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the turnarounds are still happening. Um, you know, and in, in right now, four to six months, you know, you'll get, get some checks back for the last three years. And that's a nice shot in the arm for a lot of dentists. So that's probably the biggest, most consistent mistake I see. Um, the other really big mistake is just a lot of dentists because they make great money. As I alluded to earlier, they just aren't paying attention to it. Dentists are like the worst for getting embezzled by, you know, like people embezzling from them because they're, they're not worried about it. That extra, I worked with a dentist. He had a guy over three years embezzled like 500 grand from him. And he was like, God, I couldn't mm. figure out why we were always a little short. <laughs> and I was like, a little. 
I was going to say, <laughs> 500 grand's mean. a lot of short. <laughs> oh, that's horrible. Holy crap. But that is kind of yeah. true, though, because a lot of people don't ever double or triple check what the front is doing. So embezzlement is probably the number one thing that a lot of dentists have to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a really big thing. And, you know, honestly, with just if you spend a half an hour a week and you just went through the books and just kind of look at, yeah, things look like they're working. Nothing's changed major. Our numbers are the same as they were last year. Our metrics are pretty close month to month. There's not some mystery account happening because this guy was opening up mystery accounts and paying all sorts of new vendors. And, you know, if, if the dentist had been looking, he probably would have caught some of it. I mean, it's one thing if a guy's shaving off 10 grand a year from a practice that's running a couple million through, it's another thing if he's shaving off six figures. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what, what is your, uh, what is your ideal client look like that, uh, that you'd like to work with? Cause we have, uh, there's a lot of dental students, a lot of fresh graduates that listen to this podcast that are, you know, mm -hmm. school three, four, $500,000 in debt. And they're just trying, they're just focusing on, I have to work. I have to pay this debt off. So is there anything yeah. your company can do to help them plan out? Or are you looking at dentists that are pretty much established and making that good income and, and has that more of a disposable income to, uh, to do some future planning with? Yeah. The, realistically, um, my ideal client is someone who's been in business three, four, five years or more like that they're profitable because I can do a lot more tax wise. If a guy's not making much money, I can't save him taxes. We can't really help them grow too much of their money. But the new guys who are coming out, like they need to, if they can come out and get the right habits, if they can learn to track things just on a minimal basis, if they can learn how to begin to create systematic savings, because savings is kind of that gateway to investing, right? Like a lot of people want to jump right into investing and they don't ever want to save up a chunk of money. Uh, if we can teach them how to live within their means early on so that they can really uh, get over the hump faster, we can do a lot of good things for them. It's less profitable for me short term, but long term, like if I show them how to do really well, those become my most loyal clients. So, you know, we invest in people. And so I'm totally fine with the guy who's just coming out of school and wants to figure out like, okay, here's my debt picture. Here's what I'm looking at doing over the next couple of years here, whether that's being an associate for a while or saving up to buy their own clinic or just getting a loan right away and buying an existing clinic or whatever. We can look at and kind of help them map out how to think about that um, and just, just help them make better decisions because the difference between someone doing it right and doing it wrong can be pretty significant, especially in those first couple of years. Now, the debt is something that uh, we, we use other people's debt to make money, right? So mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. is there some, a, a hierarchy for dentists, dental students, as far as you know, paying off their student loans as, as fast as they can versus do you want to make those minimum payments and use that money elsewhere to invest? Does it depend on you know, your interest is anywhere from three to seven, eight percent, somewhere in that range. Uh, sure. What is that hierarchy for people that are looking to get into this financial planning? Yeah. So so the first thing is um, it depends on your debt, right? There's a big difference between 3% debt and 8% debt. Right. 3% debt, I would say, like, pay that as slow as you can. Take that money and make more money with it. 8% is pretty rough. But I would say if I was going to prioritize it, um, get a couple months savings in the bank when you're, when you're starting out, uh, focus on growing your business, make your minimum payments, get your income up. Cause a dollar that goes into your business, like let's say you take 10 grand and you throw that at, at towards your student loan. It doesn't really do you any good, but if you took 10 grand and put it into marketing, you might be able to turn that into 50 or more, right? right. Like that can be a really big thing. So I think Investing in your business, the the risk is lower and the ROI is so much higher that it doesn't make sense to pay to try and pay that off really early. Because a lot of dentists, you'll you'll keep your business broke, you'll keep it right on the edge, trying to pay all that extra toward the uh, the loans. And the problem is, if you run into a COVID situation and you don't mm -hmm. have much savings because it's all been going into student loans, you can't go to the the loan people and say, "Hey, can I get that money back? I need it to run my practice now. I've been paying you extra." They're just like. Sorry, man. We'll just uh, we'll just 
foreclose on your business or whatever, you know, or wreck your credit. And the same thing with like paying off a house early. Like a lot of people dump a ton of extra money into paying off a house early. And truly it's almost never the best financial decision. If you want to do it, there's a better way to do it than paying extra toward the mortgage. And we can go into that another time, but student loans are in that same boat. So I would say aggressive, being aggressive about student loans early in your career is not the best move. It's really investing in your skill set, investing in your business, investing in your team, and getting your income up. Because if you can start making four or five hundred thousand dollars a year, it gets a lot easier to pay off that debt than when you're scraping it together at one hundred and twenty grand. You know, right, right, right. So let's talk about your your company and what would let's just say. So I'm coming to you, right? Um, I'm, I'm, I listen uh-huh. to the podcast. I, I love it. I love everything you had to say. What would be the first steps that you would say? Okay, you know, Walter, let's sit down. Let's go through this whole process so I can get you going in the right direction. What would your company do for our listeners? Yeah. So the the first phone call is really for me to get a feel for where you're at, you know, and and see if I can even help you. Um, And a lot of that comes down to like, where are you at now? What are your assets? What are your debts? What's your income? What's your expenses? Like, just so we can kind of see where are you at? What do you what do you have? If you've got debt? What do you have as assets to to tackle that? Um, And then where do you want to go? Right? Because a lot of people some guys are like, I want to have 10 practices. And I've, I've worked with guys with 10 practices. And some guys are like, I just want it to be me and an assistant and keep it super simple, right? Me and a, a dental assistant and maybe a hygienist. Um, most dentists are somewhere in between there, right? They want, they've got their team and maybe them and one or two partners. But uh, it's important to understand that because my, my real belief, the reason my company is called Big Life Financial is if we can get clear on the life that you want to live then we can structure your finances around it. The mistake I see a lot of people do is they chase the money and they think once I get the money, then I'll build the life. But here's the problem. They usually have to burn down the money <laughs> to get to the life they want and then rebuild it again. Right. And so if we can get clear about what you do and don't want to do with your life, do you want a lot of complexity or do you want simplicity? Are you willing to work hundred hours a week or do you want to work 30 hours a week? Do you want a huge office and a team and a building Or do you want to work in someone else's office? I mean, there's a lot of personal choices there. And so if I can understand what's important to you, then we can look at what are the tools that can help you to get there? Like, what are the vehicles for that? I mean, there's some stuff that's foundational and is important for most people. But once we get past that baseline stuff, where you want to go with your life and your career is is really kind of the driver to that. So Walter, the first, first question or first session is just, me getting to know where you're at and what you're kind of working with. Okay. And a follow-up would be as a business, like how do you guys make your money off of the advice that you give to dentists? Yeah. So, so we work with some tax professionals um, who do reviews and those kinds of things. And if you, uh, we make a little bit of money if you end up working with them. When we set up these insurance plans, we get paid by the insurance companies um, I am about to launch a program that we're calling Profit to uh, Potential to Profit. And in that, we're going to be doing things like streamlining cash flow. We're going to go through the tax stuff, go through the money maximization model, and then we're going to help people build out a, a financial plan. That one would be fee based up front. But how I currently work with most of my clients is when they implement the stuff that we teach, we get paid usually by the tax or the uh, or the investment or the insurance companies. So they we don't charge any direct fees that way. Hmm. What does your what does an ideal um, financial team look like? Do you, do you guys handle everything uh, as far as uh, if I say I'm looking to buy my own business uh, or mm-hmm. I have one do you guys manage the accounting everything uh or are you do you have a network of other groups that you also work with that help to build what you consider the ideal financial team yeah so i I do have a couple of professionals that i work with in my office we do things um like even the the tax stuff like i farm that out to cpas cpas that i've worked with and i trust I kind of create the big picture and look for where, what does the client need? What do you guys, what does the dentist need? And then I've got people who do alternative investments and estate planning and different, you know, even if someone has money in the market and they don't know their person or don't feel like they trust them or they want 
to do something different. So it coordinates with everything. We've got people that do, it's called assets under management. Um, we do kind of the, the life insurance, the disability insurance. We do a lot of stuff with the taxes, but I work hand in hand with my tax people. And then, you know, we teach some things on how to create multi-generational wealth. So we've got um, estate planning attorneys that understand that and work with the CPA and work with us so that we can structure that stuff um, so that so that it all works together. So in my office, Kyle, we're, we're just a handful of people. We've got, uh, but we've got different professionals out there that we've vetted and worked with that have the same ideology. So when, so when you get advice from one of us, it's going to be the same advice you're going to get from all of us. Cause I think the hardest thing is a, for me as a business professional has been my attorney says to do this. And my CPA says to do that. Like, who do I believe? Right. 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 They've got different priorities or maybe they only see their piece of the pie. I've, I've worked really hard and I'm going to be honest with you. It's hard to find people who totally get what we do and who totally align with all of that because it's not just, you know, cookie cutter stuff. Mm -hmm. So, so we've worked hard over the last 10 years to, to build a team of people that we trust. And you men mentioned uh, with tax and understanding the tax tax code and really using some of these um, lesser known um, avenues or maybe loopholes to save some tax money. Mm -hmm. Do you uh, as far as your clients, what percentage of them are getting any kind of uh, audits by the IRS? It's a it's a pretty low percentage. I mean, it happens, but I don't think it's any higher than than anybody else. We really try and stay in the in the black and white. And a, a lot of the difference between black and white, in my opinion, and gray area, is how you document it. You know, a lot of people just like, like an example is you can, there's a way to pay your kids, right? But, it, but you don't just like write your kid a check for $12,000 for the year. You document things and you, like we encourage people to look at um, putting them on payroll and it has to go into an account with their name on it. And I'm not a CPA giving, you know, tax advice here. This is just the type of thing that can be done. Mm -hmm. Um but you, you bring the kids in, you use them in your social media. You can pay them like a model for their likeness for that. Um, you know, trying to, to pay your kid to sweep up around the office and make copies is one thing, but, you know, really, really using them uh, with higher leverage, you can do that, right? And so these are like little things you can do, but if you don't document it, it's total red flag. If you right. document it, you're totally in the black and white. And, right. you know, home office is like that. If you measure out the office and what percentage of the square footage of your house is it actually and take a picture and, you know, you can see that that's designated space is totally different than, yeah, I've got a computer in my bedroom and we're going to write that off. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> right. True. It, and that's just it. You, you, if you take it seriously and you're a pro and here, the reality is most of the stuff takes almost no extra effort, like this much extra. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> but then you can totally do it. Yeah, it's how you set up your life. And so there are a lot of things you can do that way that uh, that people just aren't taking advantage of. Or someone will say that's a red flag and you're like, but if I'm actually legitimately using it for business, I should be writing it off. Right. Mm -hmm. So so mm -hmm. do that. Right. <clears throat> yeah. Is there anything that um, you wanted to tell the people listening that we might not have covered so far? Right. Um, well, let's start off with this. So people need yeah. to know how to get a hold of you, right? Let's start with that. How would they get a hold of you if they're interested in um, seeking out your services? Yeah. So, so an easy way is they can just go to biglifefinancial.com and they can, um, there's a button there that says work with us and they can click on that and they can make an appointment. It just takes them to my online calendar. Uh, another thing is if you're listening to this on your phone, <clears throat> if you want to, you can send us a, a text message. Just text the words big life to 38470. Again, that's 38470. That'll ask you for your name, your email, and it will actually send you a free gift, which is the uh, the book. I think, Kyle, you downloaded it. I did. Yeah. I, I think. Uh, yeah. Start <clears throat> the podcast. Yeah, I, I could see you were doing your due diligence, which is great. <laughs> but it, but it'll send you a copy of the book, and you can kind of read up. That talks a little bit about the life insurance strategy and how the the Rockefeller family and other wealthy families have used uh, these types of strategies over the years. And it'll give you a good idea of how some of that works. 
Um, but those are those are two easy ways. And Walter, you know, I have this funny thing that I, I want to throw out there and it's, this isn't going to be a financial thing. This is just something that's like in my heart, having worked with a lot of dentists is I just want to make dentists aware that this exists. Okay. There's this whole thing. There's this whole thing out there that I see happen with some dentists where five to 10 years into practice, they get tired of what like we sometimes call drill, fill and bill. Right. <laughs> right. And Right. When you first come in, it's all new. It's exciting. You're building a business. You're doing new things. You're getting the cool equipment, all that stuff. But running a dental practice isn't cheap, but you also make good money. And usually you get the trophy spouse and your kids go to private schools and you get the nice cars and you get the nice house. Right. And so you're, you're on the, you're on the, I'm just telling you from talking to hundreds of dentists about this and you're, you're on the treadmill, man. And you got to make, you got to bring in a million dollars into that practice or you're not going to be able to cover your bills. Right. And here's the problem. After five or six years or 10 years, it's a little different for everybody. A lot of dentists, they, uh, they start to wear out, they burn out and they're, mm -hmm. they have nobody to talk to about it. Right. They look at their husband or wife and they're like, honey, I'm like tired. And they're like, but our life's so great. We got everything we want. <laughs> right. And they're like, but I got to get on the treadmill every day and I'm worn and I'm just beat up. And this thing happens where they, they put themselves on the treadmill over and over and nobody wants to hear about it. It's like the, the really good looking guy or the really hot girl. Who's like, I'm just tired of being treated like a piece of meat. And their friends are like, why won't I get that kind of attention? Right? <laughs> like it's, it's this thing that nobody wants to hear and it gets really hard. And a lot of dentists, I don't know if you guys know this, but dentists have like the highest rate of substance abuse and right. suicide and all this stuff because they they feel this pressure and I don't think there's anyone else to share it with. And I, I want to put it out there that like this is a real thing. And if you feel yourself starting to go down that road, you need to talk to your friends. You need to talk to somebody. There's a way out of this. And a lot of it's about money, right? Like let's let's talk about your money let's get that so you don't have to run so fast on the treadmill or you can get some help covering those miles but you continuing to run and pretend like nothing's wrong for a lot of people does not end well so i, I feel like that's something i wanted to share because i've i've heard that story in different variations and i'm right. painting super broad strokes here but it's uh it's important man for these people to know that it doesn't have to be that way and and if you can not create that on the front end, that's really good too. Just be aware that, you know, taking care of you and taking care of your life is more important than making an extra buck sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. I, no, I, I want to thank you for, uh, yeah. for, for saying that right. first of all. Right. Um, uh, but also just to add to it, it's usually, uh, it's cycles of four. Uh, so when you go to college, you're there for four years. Mm -hmm. Then you, then your situation changes and you go to, if you're a dentist, then you go to dental school and you're in dental school for four years. Mm -hmm. And then guess what? You graduate and your situation changes. And then four years after that, you've, where's the change? Right. Right. Mm -hmm. you know? So yeah, it usually happens in cycles of four. So yeah, I'm, I'm definitely happy that you um, brought that up. Right. And, you know, I yeah. will say that, you know, COVID I think has allowed us to understand and appreciate what it's like to basically have the financial freedom to not have to worry, right? Because there are a lot of people that were losing their jobs, dentists that were sitting there going, what am I going to do with my team? You know, how can I sustain this? And what am I going to do with my family and the life that I've already built? And a lot of dentists were going crazy. I mean, we, we were talking back and <laughs> forth, right? I mean, seriously, I, w I was talking yeah. to Kyle. I was talking to Gary back and forth for about a month and a half because the government couldn't get their act together. We didn't know what was going on. But imagine if you would have had that savings account where, you know, you basically had money in there for six months to a year. Then you're just sitting at home going, cool, whatever. Let them figure it out. You know, maybe you had it sure. where your company, your business was making that money so that you had extra money so that you could pay your assistant so that they're not feeling the stress. I mean, I feel like yeah. that's basically what your company would be able to do. Just kind of guide us in a way where if, God forbid, COVID-2 comes about, God forbid, again, <laughs> we don't sure. have to worry sure. about that. You know what I mean? So. So definitely. And I think that was uh, also gave dentists that once government did get their their act together and started 
doing the unemployment stuff and dentists could take a step back. I don't have to worry about my team anymore. They're, they're getting paid through unemployment. Uh, mm-hmm. gave us a little bit of time to sit back and, you know, relax a little bit, maybe enjoy the time off. Uh, I know maybe my back started feeling a hundred times better just from not having to be, you know, slouched over a chair for, you know, 40 hours a week. So I, yeah. I, I think that, you know, gives a little bit of a glimpse of er, this early on in a lot of our careers, like, you know, maybe I want to retire a little bit earlier because <laughs> this is this is nice to be able to not have to go into work every day and deal with patients, deal with staff, deal with all of those stresses that you were talking about. And mm-hmm. it's super important that, you know, we get our finances in order. So we have that ability, should we get to that point, um, we have that ability to, you know, have our finances in order and enjoy life uh, the way we want to enjoy it. Yeah, because you guys, you guys have sacrificed a lot, right? You went through school and just getting into school is hard enough. So, yeah, and it, I think it's wise wise to to take that into consideration. Just know there's a lot of ways to do that, Kyle. You know, it doesn't have to be just saving up a bunch of money to live on. You could just build your practice so that. It's not based on you being there. You're the CEO at some point or, or you transition into that and you're just a part-time dentist a couple days a week to kind of stay in the flow. But there's a lot of a lot of ways to do it. And and there the options are pretty limitless for dentists. So it, it's a great field to be in. Do you think that, that is the biggest thing uh, for a dentist? The, the biggest financial uh, benefit to them is owning their own business? As opposed well, to see it somewhere. Well, I mean, I th- I think you can build assets elsewhere and everything, but to replace the kind of income that a dentist makes, it takes some time. Yeah, you know, yeah. you you got to get serious about saving up some money and getting it working for you, whether that's in life insurance or real estate or some other chosen vehicle. Like I said, my my litmus test is pick something you know about, care about, and control. What you really want to do is look at what do I want to do with my life. And how do I put my dollars to work within that area? How do I find a way to get paid to do the stuff I was going to do anyway? Right? right. And I'm not just talking about like camping and water skiing, but like most dentists are, are, they like to learn. They're enthusiastic. Like, how do I, how do I do the things that I love to do and, and find a way to turn that into an income stream? So it's not my life or making money. It's that you get to do both at least some of the time or most of the time. Right. All right. Well, let's leave it there. Uh, Derek, thank you so much for coming. <laughs> Listen, I, again, like I said, I know that you could be doing so much more with your Saturday night, but uh, you, d- you definitely chose to join us and we definitely appreciate you for that. So thank no, you guys. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. All Loved right. it, guys. Glad yes. to be here. I appreciate it. Take care. Thank you for listening to Tooth Be Told. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at realdentist with an S at gmail.com. That's real dentist, R-E-A-L, dentist with an S, at gmail.com. Remember, the opinions on this podcast are just that, our professional opinions. The final decision about your health should be made by you and a trusted dental professional.